your bulletins to page 7, or not actually turn pages, but go to that portion of the bulletin online. Uh, Or you can read uh, in your Bible, uh, beginning in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Now, before I read this, I want to say that I take the position of most uh, every scholar, uh, not that I'm one of the scholars, but I take the position that they take, that uh, Mark ended in so abruptly because we think that, and this is a kind of strange providence of God, that the remaining part of his a letter was lost somehow. We don't know how. We don't know what may have happened. But uh, actually, the, some of the things that he hints at telling us earlier in his uh, book, his gospel, don't really uh, show up at the end. And if we follow Mark, uh, if we follow Matthew as Mark generally does, they have... Uh, they coordinate their stories in many ways, and he has kind of the same flow as Matthew, then we would expect that Jesus actually would appear in the resurrection as he does in Matthew and Luke and John. So for these reasons, uh, this we think is uh, an account that's cut off. There's an, uh, an added account that everybody agrees was added by those who read it and said, well, this isn't right. Let's Let's write one that fits better or that works better. But we don't believe, uh, however old that is, that it's original with Mark. So just to let you know, that's why this will end rather uh, abruptly. And though it says that the women uh, said nothing to anyone because they were afraid in in verse 8, actually the story probably goes on to say, but after a while they did, because in every account they do describe what they saw. Uh, But this catches us in the middle of the story. Uh, So we will read this portion and then not so much doing a verse by verse study of this, but this introduces us to this whole wonderful uh, uh, event of resurrection. And I want to describe it in a fuller way to describe or, or get at the meaning of the resurrection and the why of the resurrection Uh, as we move forward. But let's read now, chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Who is crucified? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. 
for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, bless us that we may understand your word, and Lord, that we may embrace all the more uh, the work of Jesus in his death and resurrection and what it means for us and what it means for this world. Bless us for your glory and honor, we pray. Amen. Perhaps you're uh, watching this and you're not familiar with the Bible. Again, if so, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, we uh, provide a place where you can ask any question about the Bible. We offer a safe, inviting, caring atmosphere to discuss spiritual or personal matters. But one of the questions people ask is, what about Easter? What about this big Christian holiday that is one of the two along with Christmas? Well, Easter, as you may know, focuses on the Bible's declaration of the resurrection of Jesus. His coming alive after being sealed in a tomb dead for three days. So what does the Bible say was happening at the resurrection? From the Bible's perspective, why the resurrection? Why is it so important to Christians? What did it accomplish? What does it mean for our lives? Even what does it mean for the whole earth? Well, first, we're going to ask a a longer question perhaps than the first point. But what does the resurrection have to do with God's plan to save his people? That's point number one. What does it have to do with God's plan to save his people? Well, we have to back up to the beginning of the whole story in the book of Genesis. The Bible teaches that we human beings were made in the image of God and that we were made for God. That means we were made to know God, to interact with God, to enjoy God to be like God, to gladly obey God. In short, we were made to relate the whole of our lives to God. That's what it means to be made in his image. We were made for a full throttle, all out engagement with God in all of life. What a glorious creation, right? And being made in the image of God, we had the amazing gift of spreading over the whole earth to bring forth all of earth's resources and hidden gifts and to bring the earth and ourselves to the greatest possible flourishing to our joy and to God's glory who made us to be in his image. That's what we were made for, but tragically, it didn't turn out that way. So God made us, but we left God. We turned our backs 
on God. Now, kids, I want you to imagine spending weeks thinking about just the right gift for your friend. Okay, you finally settle on it. You buy it with the money that you have earned. You carefully wrap it. You take it to his or her house. You knock on the door and she or he jerks the door open, snatches it out of your hands and slams the door in your face and never speaks to you again. You're like the disconnect in this act of giving and sacrificing and loving you and caring for you and coming to visit and you never speak to me again? The the one doesn't follow the other, does it? That makes no sense. That's us with God. That's what we did with God. We took all of his gifts, his whole creation, all its beauty and pleasures and opportunities, and we slammed the door in his face. We decided we did not want to be in a relationship to the true God. We didn't want to know him and enjoy him and obey him. So one of the main things we did, we made up our own gods. Gods that fit what we wanted them to be. Gods, you might say, in our image. Gods that would fit our own desires, whether spiritual gods we invent or gods like money and power and sex and entertainment. We all worship something we're made to worship, but what is it that we worship? We, as a whole human race, turned away from worshiping the true God. The Bible teaches that God is a God of unmeasurable love. His love is perfect. He always gives himself away extravagantly with all joy, with ultimate sacrifice. That's just how he loves. It's perfect love. And the sad, horrible thing is that when we turned away from God, we turned away from that perfect love for each other. And we turned into ourselves. We're born living for ourselves, as the Bible teaches. All of us are born counting ourselves as more important than others. We've become so unlike God in how we treat one another. All of human history screams out our staggering evil against one another. And here's a bitter irony in our abandonment of God. When I don't love God supremely and I don't love others more than myself, I lose the vital part of my humanity. I fracture the image of God. I stain it and and I don't completely obliterate it, but I ruin it in its perfection. My attack against God is really an attack against myself. 
You take a fish out of water and slowly it dies because it is made for the water. That's where it lives. That's where it thrives. That's only where it can live and thrive. And that's why since we have turned away from God, the only atmosphere that we are made for, fashioned for as human beings, the Bible compares it to being dead. Dead. That's the language of scripture. Like we're the zombies, you know, we're the living dead. We live and we breathe and we do all that we do. Sometimes many good things, but at our heart, in relationship to the true God, we're dead. Now, I never saw this in person, but in much older movies, you would see a man deep sea diving in a full suit that looks more like a space suit, except his helmet would be this big round metal thing with a glass in front for him to see. And he would always be on the bottom, really deep, doing things on uh, the, the uh, ocean floor. And then there was a hose that ran uh, from his helmet all the way up to the top of the water into a machine that was running loudly, pumping air down for that guy. It always gave me the creeps. I mean, the creeps when I saw, because usually when you see the movie, it's like watching a horror movie and somebody goes into the attic and you're saying, don't go into the attic. Why do they always go into the attic when they hear a sound? Right? Well, this is the same way. Like, oh no, he's on the bottom. He's got this hose. Something's going to happen to the hose. And sure enough, uh, many times in the movies, somebody would come to attack him and cut the hose. But what would it be like if you're down there and you suddenly cut your own hose? Just to assure your own death, to cut off your supply of oxygen. And friends, that's what we as human beings did with God. We cut off our life. We amputated ourselves from this God that we were made for. In, in, whose, in relationship with whom we thrive and flourish. And being like him, we thrive and flourish. Especially in our fellowship with each other. Now, the interesting thing is we do see the remains of his image in us. Sometimes we see it in bold and beautiful ways. We've seen it again and again during this coronavirus outbreak, haven't we? Somebody playing saxophone on a balcony in Italy. Uh, some woman on a cherry picker uh, looking into her grandmother to wish her a happy birthday. Wonderful things. Uh, Sirings uh, uh, in front of a hospital, uh, apartment buildings, turning their lights off and on. And then the sacrifices of the medical profession and and people who deliver packages and people who stock shelves and uh, it just goes on and on and on. And the wonderful thing is that we still show, though we're broken and though by nature we're estranged from God, we still show some of that image, don't we? The image of the God who cares and, and we we acknowledge that and that these are the things that we honor in people, this sacrifice, this love. Well, we're going to see 
that points to God himself and how he's acted for us. But it can be the case that as we sacrifice and serve others, we still can be rejecting the God in whose image we are made. We can show his image in our life. We, we can't help that to a certain extent, but still refuse to put our lives in his hands, to trust him, to save us, and to be our God. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Well, God made us. We left him. We abandoned him. But he comes after us. This is the next, next aspect of his plan to save his people. And this brings us to his death and resurrection. He comes after us to rescue us. Now, how did he do this? It's important to get a little background here that, that God, the true God, we believe, the Bible teaches, and this is what we believe, that God has a relationship within himself. That is wild, but it's wonderful. That God is a family within himself. He's a, a fellowship within himself. He, he's one God, yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So love dwells within God. John declares in his letter, God is love. Well, that didn't start with creation, that was always the case. Everlastingly, God is love. He's always been love. As these three persons gave themselves radically to the other and rejoiced in the other and received the other in everlasting, uh, uh, bountiful love. So, this God of bountiful love within himself, turned that love outward, both in his creation, but then especially in pouring himself out for us, even though we had turned our backs on him. The father sent the son, and the son came, joyfully submitting to his father to rescue us from our sin. And this part of the rescue began when the son took to himself a full human body through the Virgin Mary. He continued to be fully God, but now he became as well fully human. Jesus from the town of Nazareth. And of course, we especially celebrate that uh, becoming a human being at Christmas. But... We're Easter. Let's get on with it, Darwin. The central pivotal work that the Son of God came to do, what everything in his life pointed to, in fact, what everything in the whole Bible pointed to, was his own death and resurrection. It is his rescue from our, uh, rescuing us from our sin. Rescuing us from the punishment we deserve for our sin. And gradually rescuing us from the very practice of sin in our lives. And finally from the very presence of sin in the earth. He came to destroy sin. 
So the Bible teaches that when Jesus of Nazareth finally, at the end of his life, died on a Roman cross in his death, he was bearing away the punishment that we deserve for our abandonment of God and for our hatred toward one another. It teaches that in his death, the Father punished Jesus in our place. He bore the judgment for the great evil we have inflicted on one another. And on the third day, the resurrection is the magnificent announcement that the punishment is finished. It is done. He has completely swallowed up God's wrath for anyone who will trust in him. And when anyone trusts in him, the Bible says for that person, there is then no condemnation, no judgment. Not now, not ever. And it also means that there is only favor toward them from God. Now and forever. Resurrection means full forgiveness and full favor. It is this resurrected Lord that offers all of this to you. Because it is a finished work It is ready for you. It is prepared for you to step into it, to step in the forgiveness that he has won through his death and resurrection. And we've talked about staggering evil. Well, I want you to look a little bit at this staggering beauty. He's a risen savior, but he's always worshiped as a wounded savior. When Thomas asks to, for the proof that this really is Jesus' body, that he's really risen from the dead, Jesus points to the very wounds, healed wounds, but the, the visible wounds that he still bore. What a sign that he will bear those wounds forever as, as the outward sign of what he has accomplished. And when you have the peek into the worship of God in Revelation 4 and especially chapter 5, it centers on Jesus, but he's described in this way, the lamb that was slain. That's how he's worshipped. He's described as our song described him as the lion, but he's, so he's kingly, he's mighty, he's powerful, but he's the lamb. 27 times in Revelation. He's the lamb. He's the lamb. He's the lamb. He will always be worshipped as the wounded one who sacrificed himself. And dear friend, catch this. His wounds speak to our wounds, to your wounds. He's wounded like us. He's wounded for us so that our pain and wounds and evil and death will not have the final word over us. His body that is risen yet wounded tells us we in him will finally be delivered from all of our wounds. And in the meantime, in the words of Abby Hutto, we, and I quote, trace the lines evil has carved into his flesh. We have a God who knows what it feels like to be wounded, abused, abandoned, and forsaken. To our wounds, only 
God's wounds can speak. Only God's wounds. No other God has entered into pain and death and sorrow to break its chains from within. No other God loved us enough to suffer. And I love this statement. No other God was powerful enough to save. And you see where the power is? The power is in his infinite love and in his unlimited resources by which he could lay himself down for us. Every other God is weak. Every other God, in a sense, has to shut its mouth and walk off. As we sang, nothing, no one can compare. Uh, Timothy, Tim Keller and, and as well, Abby Hutto uh, speak of this pastor in Great Britain during World War I named Edward Shalito. Suppose that's his pronunciation. And he was faced with this terrible, uh, horrible suffering of these men coming back from World War I, so ravaged and, and ruined. And they needed something other than just medicine and a bandage, which they needed, but no rest could actually give them. He wrote a poem, and it was entitled Jesus of the Scars. Now I'm going to quote the last four lines and I've modernized them a little bit, but to make it clearer, but the other gods, that is all the other gods that are parading out there, all the other possible gods, right? That's the idea here. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you stumbled to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no God has wounds, but you alone. That, dear friend, separates Christianity from anything that's ever been conceived by mankind. No God has wounds, but you alone. And yet, he is the risen one. See the amazing Union of all power, but he used his power and his being God not to exploit it, not to grasp on and hold on to it, but to lavishly spend himself to show what God is really like. He's a God of extravagant love. Well, just a few minutes to speak of this last thing. Before I do, I just want to ask you, what other God will you serve? Whether a made-up spiritual God or whether a God of something in this earth, what will you ultimately serve? I urge you, give yourself to this God. We're announcing him, we're declaring him from our perspective in the Bibles as the only God, the true God. And isn't it good news that this true God is this kind of God? who would so abundantly love even those who had turned against him, a God who, as Steve prayed, that we would love our enemies. We worship a God who loved his enemies. Oh, what a, what a thing to be loved by that God and to become like that God and to begin to walk in the liberty of his spirit to begin to be those people who count others as more important than ourselves like he did toward us. We 
we again we hope that you will get engaged with us uh, to talk and and talk further if if you've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ. But as it turns out, he's not just saving us in our souls. He's not just a God of the soul or spirit. He's a God of the body as well. And we believe that in his redemption, in his dying for us, he was not only going for us, he was not only going for our souls, but he was dying to redeem our whole humanity. That's the point of his becoming a human being. We didn't, he didn't need to become a human being. We needed him to become a human being. He didn't need to die. We needed him to die. He didn't need to be raised. We needed him to be raised in the body so that our bodies could have that hope, that future hope of resurrection. But the resurrection not only engulfs our bodies, our whole humanity in the final day, so that, as Paul says, we will have our humble bodies transformed into the very likeness, and here's the word, glory of his resurrection body. That is staggering. We'll be made perfectly into the image of Christ and whatever his body has become, that's what our bodies will become. But it's not only for us, it is for the whole of creation. And so in the resurrection life, we begin to live out new spiritual lives now We begin to live now in the favor that Jesus has won for us in the presence of God. We begin to and continue to be transformed into his image. And in the last day, we'll be raised from the dead. Or if we're here when he comes, we'll be transformed immediately into our new bodies. And this whole world will be transformed into the new creation where sin and pain and viruses will never live again. And we'll live perfectly. And as we sang, we'll be a kingdom of priests who reign over this earth forever. For as Paul says, we now, through the death and resurrection of Christ, are joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ to inherit this world. Praise be to God for his great salvation that goes beyond our imagination. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your coming to earth, your suffering for us, we who had turned against you. Lord, we thank you that you now are a risen Savior and a wounded Savior. Lord, only your wounds can speak to our wounds. Lord, thank you that you unite power to love. You are a perfect Savior. And you bring us a salvation that stretches into every aspect of our lives, engulfs our whole humanity to to the final day when we'll be completely changed. And it even stretches forth into the whole creation. You loved your creation and you entered it to break the curse and break creation free from its cage. Oh, Lord, we worship you and adore you. Mighty, risen wounded Savior. Amen.